a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every week uh, in this podcast, we tackle an issue of international significance and this man, Dr. Keith, breaks it down. And there is no one really more qualified for this job because he is so good at explaining complex situations in layman's terms. I mean, you've been doing it for decades, three PhDs on the issue, if you don't mind, or not the issue, but the, you know, the international politics stuff. And really just no one else is, you know, as good at make it very easy to understand for some of us who are not so versed on some of this stuff. My name's Kate Mack. I, I work with Keith. I produced this and we've worked together for a number of years in um, in television, in fact. Indeed. A- and you are a commentator on all these sorts of issues in the media and have been for decades as well. We're going to talk about the coronavirus. It is <laughs> the issue of the moment and how it is going to change the world, Keith, for the longer term as well. That's right. So the, the article that I've been reading is in the Politico magazine published in the United States. It's dated uh, March 19th. And the magazine Politico invited 34 thinkers to make predictions about what they think will flow from the coronavirus crisis. So I thought it might be useful just to go through and take a sampling of the changes. So in other words, you know, the, the big issue, I guess, really, is that we were slow to recognise just how big a change this coronavirus would create for the world. The American president was trying to talk it down. Some were saying, oh, no, it's just a a slightly worse version of the flu and all the rest of it. But what we're seeing is that there are deep structural changes that are being brought about by this. So one change is that Americans are being reminded about how vulnerable they are to calamities. So in the old days, they thought calamities only happened in distant lands. This, like the 9-11 crisis, like the 2008 financial crisis, this has reminded Americans that, in fact, a crisis can suddenly sweep across the United States. And the Americans have to go all the way back to 1918 and the flu pandemic to remember what happened. In fact, I should imagine there's hardly anybody left in the United States who remembers the flu pandemic. And so they're now getting a reminder about how vulnerable Americans are, like the rest of us around the world. Another person comments on the fact that we may now get a return to serious experts. We've lived through a period in which experts have been discarded. um, And we've got people who are saying, oh, well, you know, climate change is not real. It's a hoax. You had some people at the beginning of the year saying that the coronavirus is fake news being invented by the the Democrat Party. What uh, Tom Nichols at the US Naval War College is saying is that, in fact, perhaps it will force us now once again to to agree that experts matter and that you do need to have expertise. And it's no good just having people running off at the mouth. So, uh, you know, the phrase is that you get commentators who... uh, open their mouths and their brains run out. So, <laughs> so you know, he, he's hopeful. That's an optimistic one, that we will be forced uh, to pay more attention to this. So that's one optimistic sign coming out of this tragedy. Another one is perhaps we will have less individualism. So uh, Eric Kleinerberg, who's um, at the uh, Institute for Public Knowledge at New York University, talks about the way in which 
we have tried, we've had a, a dominant paradigm in politics for the last 40 years. Look out for number one. Do unto others before they get a chance to do it unto you. The meek might inherit the earth, but they won't get the mineral rights. That's the old thinking. What he's saying is that that makes us much more vulnerable to a catastrophe because we're simply not working together. And so we may actually find that we have to go back to what the lesson we learned in the 30s and the 40s in the economic depression and then, of course, World War II, that we have to work together. And, of course, it was that need to work together that resulted in that international architecture of 1944, 1945, creating the United Nations and all these other agencies, which were good for their day. Obviously, things have changed, but we need to be improving those agencies rather than saying, oh, we can do all this on our own and just look out for number one. But we're seeing lots of examples in Australia of great collaboration between government agencies. Australia is an excellent example. And, of course, the figures in this country so far anyway, we've got to be careful not to boast, but Australia and New Zealand have shown the value of uh, governments and you know, politicians, public servants, all working together. One of the things that is a contrast between the United States and Australia or United States and New Zealand is that the way that politicians should operate is that, yes, they've got to be on the stage for media conferences because there are some people who think the politicians run the country and therefore they expect to have a politician there. But we all know it's the deep state that runs the country. You know, when, when Boris Johnson was taken sick, for example, people say, oh, it's going to be terrible, there's no prime minister. But Britain carried on. You know, with, with Boris Johnson in hospital or not, the country still carries on. In the United States, by contrast, President Trump will not give the platform over to experts. So he's been conducting these sometimes two-hour media conferences where he's making all sorts of uh, comments, including injecting yourself with <laughs> strange substances. I was hoping you would mention it. I was going to have to push you along in that direction That's if you didn't. Right. But unbelievable Unbelievable. Stuff. Whereas what he ought to do is simply, well, first of all, express uh, some sympathy for the for the victims and their next of kin, which he's failed to do, and then uh, just perhaps give a, a general overview for the day and then hand it over to the experts, the people from the deep state. But instead he won't get off the platform, although I think it's beginning to change now. I think some of his... Because he's got yet another new media team and I think they're trying to urge him not to give such long-winded media conferences and allow the experts to be giving out the health advice, etc. So we, so we see in Australia politicians were willing to work with the deep state and politicians willing to work across party lines. There's no point scoring, etc. And so we have benefited from that in Australia. But the point I have to keep warning Australian audiences is that our experience is quite unusual. If you go to other countries, you've got a lot of the old traditional political point scoring. That's what politicians are about, point scoring. So they like being in the in the public eye and they have difficulty handing over to an expert who will then just give a cool, reasoned answer. But surely in this particular climate, you know, a pandemic situation, you, you just it's just stupidity to even consider that you could do that or get away with it. Well, Trump has been getting away with it now for a few weeks. Um, so but has he, he been getting away with it? He's been doing it. Has, has he been getting away with it, Keith? Well, it's, it's damaged a bit of his standing. It's interesting to look at how he stands in the opinion polls. Um, uh, he was quite doing quite well at the beginning of the crisis. It's, he's declined a bit, which is why his media advisors are now saying, look, you should spend less time 
at the conference and allow more time for Dr. Fauci and the other experts to speak. Whether he'll heed that advice, we don't know, because this is a guy who loves the media attention. <laughs> this is your pro- it's an It's a drug. It's an addictive drug. I was about to say, didn't he refer to it at some point as a show? Like he mentioned, the, the, as he referred to the press conferences holding as the show. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the way he thinks about it. That's right. And it's a problem, I think, living in a world now which is so dominated by the media, everybody thinks in terms of their 15 minutes of fame, be they US presidents or five-year-olds taking photographs of their meals to put onto their Instagram. <laughs> you know, we're all in the fame business now. On the topic, and there's been a lot of this in the media as of late as well, but there is that tension in terms of the decline of coronavirus and the way it's um, challenging um, relationships across the world. China and Australia, there is, and China and every other country, because there are a lot of calls for independent inquiries into where this came from. Yeah. China, it came from China, so really they should be just transparent about it, but they're pushing back and yeah. saying it's a racist sort of angle that we're all going for. But how much damage is that doing to the relationship and will they just have to let it go? Well, um, the problem, I, I, I have criticisms on both sides. I'm critical of China for failing to come clean with the extent of the crisis. Indeed, in this article, they actually identify um, the young doctor, Li Wing Lang, and the other doctors of Wuhan who tried to sound the alarm. Remember, he was badly treated. He's since died of the virus. So I'm critical of how the Chinese government have behaved, but I'm also critical of how we've had the point scoring. You know, Donald Trump is presiding over a disaster. So we have had more Americans killed by the virus than were killed in the Vietnam War, over 55,000. So he's then to push the blame elsewhere, is now accusing the World Health Organization of not doing enough to warn us. In fact, they, they were slow, I recognise, to um, declare it a pandemic. But nonetheless, they did get their act together in time. And so Trump is saying, well, we're not going to fund the World Health Organization and the United States, as is the case, because it's got the largest economy, is the largest single funder of all parts of the UN system. And so that will certainly be a problem. That takes back to this argument about the need for multilateral cooperation. So President Trump is trying to push the blame over to the World Health Organization as a way of deflecting criticism about his own lack of action. The Australian Prime Minister has, I think, too speedily jumped in behind the American president and is saying that Australia <clears throat> needs to reevaluate its own role with the World Health Organization, etc. And the Chinese have taken this as being a sign that the Australia is siding with the United States, which in a sense it is. But it's interesting to note that the leaders of France and Germany are also making a similar request, but not linking themselves with Trump. They're embarrassed to be associated with Trump. This is a part of the wider issue, that Trump, being such a, an American first person, is not willing to work with his European allies. Uh, in fact, I've got to say, that the, one of the really big failures of Trump is that although he has identified China as the emerging threat to the United States, which is correct, he's handling it so badly because what he ought to be doing is forming alliances with the Europeans and others to draw them into a, a, a group to oppose China. Instead, he's going around offending everybody, except, ironically, the Chinese president. He never criticises personally 
the Chinese president, but he does criticise China. So it's a very confused situation. Scott Morrison has jumped into this very ill-advisedly, in my view, the Australian Prime Minister, and he's sort of siding very openly with President Trump. Really what he ought to be doing is linking himself with France and Germany and saying, yes, we need to have an investigation of this without saying, you know, World Health Organisation has failed and all the rest of it. That'll come later if it's proved that the World Health Organisation did fail. But let's just have a neutral inquiry. Now, the problem for us vis-a-vis China is that China is our single biggest customer. We cannot afford to offend China. And so there are a lot of people with business interests who who are saying to the Australian government, do not offend China. It's interesting that the Chinese ambassador this week has said that the Chinese may well decide that they don't need to consume so much Australian red wine. I think there are a couple of other things. Oh, tourism. Now, the interesting thing there is that what the ambassador is threatening to cut off are the areas where Australia is vulnerable and where you can do it fairly quickly. He's not saying that China will stop buying iron ore. Why? Because you can't create new contracts and new mines in other countries overnight, whereas you can find alternative suppliers of red wine. So the Chinese are playing a very sophisticated game. Uh, It's um, stick and carrot. So they, they spend money, they win friends and influence people, including here in Australia, and they will use a stick if you fail to follow the Beijing line. You're listening to Global Truth with Dr. Keith Suit, and we're talking about the impact of the coronavirus on the world, the, the big picture, I guess, Keith, moving forward. It's changed a lot of relationships. It's changed the way that things are viewed, internal politics as well as world politics. What else are the big things we need to be concerned about? Well, some of the issues which they've raised is that we will find greater use for um, digital lifestyles. In other words, have more concerts online, etc. Master, the article here by... Uh, Sherry Turkle, who's at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And she talks about the way in which you've now got master yoga instructors teaching free classes. The cello master, Yo-Yo Ma, posts a daily live concert. So this is all good, but how do people make money? This is the worry I've got, that the economy is going to be the long-term victim on all of this. So I agree with what she has to say, that we're obviously making greater use of information technology. Ezekiel Emanuel um, of um, the University of Pennsylvania talks about the rise of telemedicine so that instead of having to go to see the doctor, you can just be diagnosed perhaps online. You may still need to go to a doctor, but the first instance, well, at the moment, the first instance, people diagnose their problems through Google. So then we're going to have people going online, talking to their doctor, and then perhaps thirdly, then visiting the doctor. So these are certainly changes that are taking place. The worry I've got is where do we make the money? How do we get the money circulating? Do we put everybody on the government payroll? Basically, that's what we're doing in Australia. It's a good thing. I'm not disputing the job keeper, the job seeker allowances and all the rest of it. There's certainly a good development, but it means that there's going to be a wholesale restructuring of the Australian economy or the British economy or whatever. This is the first time ever that a government has closed down an economy. Wars don't close down economies. It's very interesting to look at the figures for economic growth in the 20th century. You cannot identify the First World War and the Second World War. In other words, that as those wars progressed, certainly disruption, loss of life, but the economy kept ticking over. 
Whereas now we're in a situation of a sudden economic downturn. If you look at the United States, for example, a lot of progress was made in uh, President Trump's first three years in office. All of the financial gains made on Wall Street disappeared within one month. So three years of work gone in one month. Uh, So we're in a situation where the government um, is closing down an economy. There is no textbook available on how you handle this type of situation. And and so we're all really flying blind. One of the proposals that's been made here um, by Ajen Pu, who is the uh, director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, this person is uh, talking about uh, universal family care, a single public federal fund that we all contribute to, that we will all benefit from, that helps us take care of our families while we work, um, from childcare and from elder care to support for people with, with disabilities and paid family leave. Now, this is an American scheme which is being proposed. In Australia, we're lucky. We've got a somewhat better welfare state than they have in the, the United States. So I think that that is a good idea for the Americans, having that type of thing. One of the concerns that I've got is that the virus is emphasising the gap between the rich and the poor. If you look at the statistics of who's dying, they tend to be older people and people in poor health. Now, we're not supposed to talk about comorbidity because, in effect, you're blaming the victims. That person died of coronavirus because they were overweight and they're a, a smoker and they were elderly. So you're really blaming the victim. I don't want to do that. But for me, it's fascinating that you can get rich people in the United States who are carrying on, if anything, making more money. You can imagine Jeff Bezos of Amazon is actually making more money at the moment because you've got extra use of parcel services and delivery services, etc. So for me, one of the problems in the United States, and probably we'll see it here in Australia, will be the um, accentuation of this gap between the rich and the poor. So that rich people people working in information technology, they can be working on their computer at home or in the office. They're not going to be too badly affected. Mm. But you've got others lower down in the food chain who will be adversely affected. And so what this, what we're being forced to do actually is to think about how do we deliver welfare for all Australians? As indeed, as I say, this article is looking at what's happening with the United States and uh, Margaret O'Mara who's at the University of Washington, um, has argued that big government will make a comeback, right? We've been living for the last 40 years in cutting down the government. Remember Ronald Reagan's expression about, you know, I'm here from the government, I'm here from hell to the, the worst phrase ever. So they've denigrated government. And now suddenly we are finding a need for government and we're paying the price for a lack of investment in public infrastructure. Thankfully, the Australian government in the last couple of years, has got onto infrastructure. Ramping it up even as we speak. (laughs) Indeed. Oh, it's an important part. Keith, as always, enlightening, fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 